How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Welcome to the Extra Sauce Podcast. It's my fancy sauce. I want some fancy sauce. Yeah. I'm not done using it. With the czar of sauces, Greg Hill. Hello there, Mr. Shu. Yes, hello, Mr. Hill. Uh, or don't say, hey, 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 because that's what uh, oh. Bill Cosby says when he's coming out of court. You know, you know what gets me more than that is the people who are, like, egging him on. About I know, I know. The really? Cosby fans. Yeah. They're, they're egging him on. Seriously. Egging All right. Let's, uh, uh, welcome to this week's episode of Extra Sauce, and we're going to get some Extra Sauce this week on an interesting story from the news that we spoke about on the show this week. And um, 17 years ago, Molly Bish, a local high school girl, disappeared while lifeguarding in Warren, Massachusetts. Yeah, I can't believe 17. 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. Molly's body was uh, later found in a wooded area, and Molly's mom had always reported seeing a suspicious individual in a white car when she had dropped Molly off for work as a lifeguard at Cummins Pond, the uh, the pond there in, in Warren. Right. Um, this week, Molly's sister, Heather, has arranged ground radar to take a look at a campground to determine if that white car or another car is buried at that campground. And and that's, I mean, technology makes such a difference in this kind of thing, but that's something you couldn't, maybe you couldn't have done that 17 years ago. I don't don't know. The the, the, the fact that there may be a car that's buried, that feat in itself, to me, is pretty incredible. I mean, think Uh, about the effort it takes to bury a car. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and if this particular person, what they went through, uh, you know, it was a campground, it's in the middle of nowhere, but still you have to, you can't just go out there with a shovel, you know? No. University of New Haven forensic science lecturer Peter Massey will use the ground penetrating radar in an effort to determine whether that car is, is uh, buried in the campground, which is about three miles from Cummins Pond where Molly disappeared. And Molly's sister, Heather who has been conducting a a keepers-like uh, search yeah. for the killer yeah. of her sister, joins us now for a little extra sauce on Molly, her sister, and the search for who killed her. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate when... Um you know, that, that the media can continue to carry Molly's story and, and remind everybody that we are still looking for this person that, that took her on June 27th, 2000. Well, you're kind, but we're not really legit media. I mean, let's be honest. You know, that's not, <laughs> true, that's true, not. true, true, true. <laughs> um, how, how, so you are telling a story. I appreciate you telling the story. <laughs> absolutely. How, um, how, how old were you when Molly disappeared? I was 23. 23 years old. And yep. I, I I think it's almost impossible for 
those of us who this hasn't happened to imagine how that remains on your mind yeah. as her sister forever. I mean, it is, and I, and I am assuming that that's why you continue to pursue whoever did this to your sister. Right. Well, you know, I don't know where you fall in the family tree, but being the oldest, you know, you, I, I was always very protective of my, my younger brother and sister. You know, if, if girls were calling Johnny and I wasn't, you know, thinking they were good enough for him, I would, you know, hang up the phone or, or you know, tell him not to call back yeah. in a very nice way. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so I, I think just, you know, having sort of that, you know, feelings of, of protection um, that this that this happened you know, just, I can't, I just can't really accept it. I I can't accept that my sister was taken, you know, serving her community. She was a lifeguard. I I mean, that will never be okay to me. Her her shoes were left on the ground. I mean, Mm. to me, it's just, I can't, I can't, you know, I I have to, you know, find balance. And actually right now I'm, I'm at my daughter's uh, college orientation. So I'm not even actually at the search that's currently happening but yeah it's tricky you know you have to kind of find balance in your life and still sort of conduct normal life activities and work and 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 take care of yourself and and the people in your life and 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 then also sort of um you know try to figure out how to find a murderer (laughs) which is not easy as as an educator i don't really that whole law enforcement criminal justice world is is new and and perplexing and I certainly don't have the stomach for it. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting to me in light of um, we've been talking a lot about this Netflix documentary called The Keepers. I don't know if right. if you've watched that oh. or not, but no, um, no. And it's a it's uh, a, a good part of it is about a couple women who were uh, Catholic school students, uh, and their favorite teacher, uh, a nun, was murdered, and so they later on in life. Um, go on an investigation on their own and try to track down who's responsible. And so it's, um, you know, I, you're, you, I, I assume that you're kind of experiencing the same thing they do where they don't, they start off and they don't really know how to uh, investigate like a professional investigator, but they work their way through it. Um, and, and it's very similar to, I don't, I don't know if you know, uh, Melanie McLaughlin, who um, she wrote, she did a documentary about Andy Pugliese, who disappeared out in um, the Boston area. I mean, it was Revere. I forget exactly where it was, but it was in the 70s. It was the projects, you know, mm-hmm. and they didn't, you know, it, it was all botched. And, and this woman grew up, you know, in the projects, became a documentary filmmaker, did a film about Andy, which won an Emmy, mm. and 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 now she just graduated from Harvard with a with a master's degree. I oh. mean, it's just you know it's amazing. But you know, I, I do think you have to have a little bit of a, a social justice drive, and you know, uh, sort of these feelings of trying to you know make sure that other people are safe and caring. You know, having a a great deal of empathy. Uh, you know, I think that that's what drives people to you know not just want to find the person that that did this to molly but to make people aware that this happens you know i you know every time i talk about molly i think of a a case in worcester where there was this girl um who who was uh the day before graduation taking you know taking to public transportation home and then never came home and so the family's looking for her, but mm. you know a, a sort of a poor family and from worcester and the brother goes out and finds her 
ends up finding her dead, you know, and, and she had been killed by her own pocketbook, strangled. Uh. And, I, and I think about her, and I think about her family and how they didn't maybe have a voice. And so every time I speak for Molly or I, or I, I do these things, it's not just for Molly. It's for all these cases that, and, and their families who, who don't have the voice. I'm lucky. I, you know, my parents you know, sort of had this foundation and taught, you know, long before Molly disappeared, they, you know, they were, they were doing things to try to make the world better. I mean, my mom's a special ed teacher. My, my dad was a teacher and a, and a probation officer. I mean, they just, they really believe they had strong social justice philosophies. And, you know, so I think that, you know, being raised that way, that, that sort of is a, an internal drive. It's yeah. ha- It's, it's haunting. I, I, I'm 50 years old and I rode the bus to high school every day with a girl named Kathy Malcolmson, who yes, yep. um, Kathy went on to, to, I assume, be abducted from my hometown of Stowe, and they've never found, they've never found Kathy. So, and that, it, it's, you know, and the older I get, the more I think about it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not family. I, I just, I rode the bus with her and talked to her on the bus. I'm not family, but it's, mm-hmm. um, it, what was Molly like? Molly was a typical teenager. She was the kind of the girl next door that everybody knew. She was silly. She loved, um, to make people laugh. She kind of liked to be the class clown. She would be the one, she was an athlete. Um, she played three sports, so, but she would be the one that was you know, making faces during the slow part of the game or, <laughs> or teasing somebody she, on the bench, you know, where she was always, you know, she kind of lit up a room with her, her sense of fun. And, and she, we, you know, we kind of, my dad has this fifth grade sense of humor, and I think my, at least my sister and I inherited that a little bit. <laughs> you know, we like, we like pranking, we like, you know, silly humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was like that, but she, um, she was very athletic. She played three sports. She trained all that year before. Um, to become a lifeguard, uh, she was. She loved kids. I had just had my daughter eleven months before Molly disappeared, and she was fantastic with Michaela. She, her best friend, lived across the the street from you know the apartment I had with my my then um, husband, and and they came over all the time. And she, so she, and she, she was funny when she was little. You know, you're either like a a stuffed animal kind of kid, or you're when you're or, or as a girl, or you're like a a baby kind of uh, doll kind of girl. And I always had animals. I was the animal person, horseback rider. But Molly was a, a baby. She loved dolls and babies, and but she needed to have um, real baby clothes for her dolls, not just the dress-up clothes that you get at the you know yeah. Walmart or something. When so she was, you know, she was very. Um, you know, very real, you know, like, I think the, everyone can relate to Molly because she, you know, she was your best friend. She actually, when I, when, after she disappeared, we found this out, but, um, there was, um, in her art class, some, some special ed students that would be included and brought in, you know, for specials or whatever. And she, um, would always write them notes. I'm so glad you're here. Or, hey, we're going to do this fun project today. Um, uh, I hope you'll help me do whatever. Um, and I just think that she just really, she was really inclusive. She always, like, bounced around. She didn't have, like, a particular clique that she was a part of. She just, you know, she had a solid group of friends, but she also had this wide-ranging, you know, she could fit in anywhere. So. When your mom, your mom went to pick her up that day at at, uh, at the beach where she worked as a lifeguard, correct? And and she oh, was... To, to drop her off. To drop yeah. her off. So she went to drop her off, and there was, your mom said... 
a a man that was there in a white car and and that that always was a bit of a clue uh with regard right. to Molly's disappearance right so so that was actually the day before Molly disappeared okay. my mom um had had dropped Molly off and she saw this guy sitting in his car smoking a cigarette and he was smoking like sort of in a like a like a uh, lack of a better word like a dainty kind of fashion yep. not like a typical manly man smoking mm. a cigarette it was very dainty. So it, that she noticed. And then that he, when she looked at him and she was like, what are you kind of doing here? My mom's a teacher and a very strong um, mother of you, being able to use guilt yeah. <laughs> to make you confess before yeah. you, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's one of those. So she tried to give him that look, which generally works with her children and her students, but um, it didn't make any effect on him. So she got nervous and she, so she, fumbled in her car a little bit and waited to see if he would leave and he didn't. And so she decided she was going to get out and go sit with Molly for a little bit because it just gave her this uneasy feeling. So she did. And she just, you know, started proceeded to talk to Molly about safety and, and Molly said, mom, it's okay. It's just fishermen here. And so sometimes that stays with me as a very pertinent piece of almost a clue, if you will, um, from Molly, because Cummins Pond is down a dead-end road in a very small town without self-service in, in the middle of Massachusetts, very rural area. Half the people in Warren don't go to Cummins Pond. It's, you know, mm. moms who, who bring their kids there for swimming lessons, you know, maybe Nate people in the area and, and people who fish. It's not really a, um, a well-known area. I mean, we never went there as kids to go swimming or anything or, or have picnics or anything like that. So... Um, you know, it's that, that tells me behaviorally what kind of person is going to be, you know, around Molly to, to do her harm. And then, you know, when we, when we think about where she was found again in the woods, where it's frequently hunting up a mountain on a very steep incline, you know, a hunter, you know, founder. So it makes you think, you know, probably this person was familiar with the area and, and familiar with, you know, perhaps a hunter and a fisher. We are um, we're getting extra sauce from you this week because of the the tips that you received that um, this white vehicle m- may be buried underground and you are, you're are you working with a private investigator and is that how these tips came yeah, to light? Yeah, you know it's yeah it's funny how this all happened. Um, when the foundation first began, um, our private investigator was at Mo- she's Molly's age. She was you know, in college, so uh, maybe your first year of college and at American University in, in the D.C. area. And she was, you know, she was studying, I think, forensics or criminology. I, she's got a few degrees now, so I can't remember which ones match which degree exactly. But she um, was doing a report on Molly's case and called my dad. And I don't know if you ever spoke to my dad, you know, before he we had did. a stroke, but he was kind of a guy that would be like, yeah, come on up. Come join me. I'm going to this national night out in Worcester. You want to come? <laughs> We're doing a safety program. Come on. We used to have so um, we used to have your dad on the show frequently, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, we did we did a bunch of events with him, and and uh, great great guy. So she so she came up and 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 did that with dad, and and then kind of started um, doing uh, just like fundraising and and working in the foundation with the ID kits and everything, and and just kind of became a part of part of our sort of support network and went on to receive her master's degree and her PhD and, and again in criminology and forensics and 
she actually put herself through the police academy just because when she she's um, you know she teaches at Fitchburg State, so she you know she wanted to know what what her you know her students were going through. So she she's very um, dynamic. But I, you know I really enjoy working with Fair because she provides a sort of psychological behavior kind of perspective and lens, if you will. And at this point in the investigation, that's kind of you know how we need to operate and, and and we know now like when a when a kid goes missing you, you you know they didn't really pay attention to that when Molly went missing they immediately assumed she was she had drowned and so they wasted precious precious moments i mean we know that 76% of kids who are abducted by a stranger are murdered in the first 3 hours mm. so before they even started looking for Molly she was probably already dead because they wasted so much time you know looking in the pond and and saying she was off with her friends and 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 not really taking it seriously, they were they had a real biasness because she was a teenager. Is there and, a, um, is there a particular suspect that you feel most likely did this? I wish I could say that that there is. I wish that I had this like magical women's intuition, if you will, or something that told me. Uh, but I I we just we have a pool. We have a pool of of some really strong suspects where we have. So much circumstantial, you know, evidence, and we're just looking for that one piece. You know, see, so, so you know, we we take a person and we we build, 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 and we then we get so far, and 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 then you just can't, you know, you can't get to that next, you know, step or level, if you will, and and so you have to stop, and then you're all right. Let's go to this next guy. You know, we've got, you know, we, when we we do these tip campaigns, we categorize. Uh, all the information. So then we'll go to the next one. Okay, let's. Where does this lead us? And then you know that might lead us back to this person or or whatever. And then we follow that through until until we hit the end. And 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 that's really all I can do. And then and you know and taking these long shots like like we're doing today with this ground ground penetrating radar search. I mean it's you know to me it's 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 just something. Why not? You know or it's it's not disturbing the environment. It's not harming anything. It's just checking to see if anything's up there. It's ruling this out. Mm. And then, you know what, then we'll follow every other, you know, this, this was a, a few leads that we got in this particular person in this particular campground. And so we're just following it out. And if we, if we don't get anything, then we stop and we go to the next. So, so is, that's is that, how we operate. Is, is that person uh, in jail or, or, or not, no, not in no, jail? Okay. Nope. So it's still in the area. It's a particular tip about a person still in the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know areas. Yeah, yep. yeah. What's been the the hardest part of this for you when it comes to the search for who killed Molly? I think you know, I I lived in the world of education and working with kids, and so my experience with with criminal justice was my dad telling maybe me you know, maybe a funny story about a guy, you know, driving the wrong way and getting a DUI or something, nothing as serious as a murder investigation. All I knew was, you know, what you see on TV. So that's what I assumed. And I think that's what most people assume. It's, it's CSI, it's NCIS or whatever. And it, it is so not like that. You know, law enforcement agencies are, you know, like education, dependent on funding and resources and manpower, and when those things are cut, they, you know, there's only so much you can do. But the other thing that, you know, that will surprise me about law enforcement where, you know, coming from education, you know, if we have a complicated student, we're going to bring in the reading specialist, and we're going to maybe bring in a special ed teacher and maybe talk to a 
autism person or whatever, you know, to build this kid's, whatever the student need we needed, we'd build this individual program to support the student, you know? So, so again, that's my frame of, of experience and perspective. And so then you go to law enforcement and, you know, you can't get the FBI to work on a state police case unless they're invited by the FBI or invited by the state police and the state police don't, you know, and, and then local police don't necessarily work with state police. And yeah, yeah. so it's this whole, like nobody plays in the sandbox together mm. and God forbid you talk about an outside expert, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. right? and it's like, they work in these silos. So for me, that was like, what are you guys doing? I, I can't understand this. This is a totally, this is like Mars to me. And I don't understand how this serves anybody to the best practice or ability. Right. So I think, you know, and because dad, you know, had relationships with law enforcement as a probation officer, it, it worked for a while. And then he had the stroke and then I sort of in, became the investigator or, or the lead person in the family de- dealing with investigative stuff. And, and my frame of reference was different. And so for me personally, it was, it was trying to understand and, and come to a place with our law enforcement team and how we can work together because I'm not ever going to be that person that sits on the sidelines quietly, <laughs> you <laughs> no, know, and watch I can tell. And waiting for someone else to, to do something. Yeah. I am like, I'll go do it and apologize after, <laughs> you know, have you, I just can't. Have you had a moment where you've had to confront any of these suspects or a scary moment yet? Uh, oh yeah. Tons. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And even, um, you know, people like the Tim McGuigans of the world who, who quote unquote found the bathing suit, but also became a person of interest because of the peculiar behavior and, um, you know, around, around him. So, you know, he, and, and, and having, you know, being in a small town and running into him at a restaurant or, mm. and, and, and just, you know, th- those kinds of things. You know, I wouldn't say that, you know, anyone's been, you know, necessarily threatening or anything. I think the, you know, the interesting part, I think that my brother and I experienced differently than my parents were that, and, and this is a whole, you know, sibling thing. And, and actually John and I work with the national center and a lot of different nonprofits across the country and, and other siblings, because prior to Molly disappearing, nobody, there was no, actually no resources for siblings of missing and murdered children. And, so there was fan like the parents would call the parents, and John and I would be like, "What the what, what happens to the kids? We we didn't even meet Holly Prayton's brother." Yeah, um, and that's the that's like our neighbor, you know. Yeah. Um. So it was it was a struggle for us, and and finally, um, you know, the National Center and they they organized. We we did a book with them, and we did a movie, and I'm actually going down to Texas to work with the Laura Recovery Center, which is a nonprofit, and they're making a, this whole YouTube series, which. It's cool because there's actually a lot of, of siblings out there that are willing to talk about this whole experience. And I think, for me, the, the biggest healing, um, everything that I've done, you know, the therapy, the EMDR, the, every, you know, the shame in visits, whatever, I've tried everything to, to feel better about, about, you know, everything or at peace or something. But I think meeting someone who's gone through the same thing and, it, you know, having to, like, sort of be that, like I said, living this sort of double life where you're doing an interview, but you're at your daughter's <laughs> college orientation or you're, right. you know, you're trying to work, but you're also, as I'm working, I'm, I'm calling my PI to see if we can, you know, 
how to organize a search. You know, it's kind of like this crazy double life you live. Are you and, getting a lot of information that maybe the state police have uh, aren't getting or, or, or turning away or something like that? Well, you know what I think, you know, and I don't, I can't speak to how they, you know, that would be a question for them to how they take their leads. But what my understanding is that they, you know, they, they record the leads or whatever they are. And if they don't match up with what they know, they don't necessarily follow it. So that was one of the things that, you know, caused a great deal of anxiety to me for many years because I didn't really understand that. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, these people would say, I, I turned in this lead and I um, never, the police never came and interviewed me. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. And so that would, that, that's when I was like, oh, my God, I got I got it. I got to start recording this stuff. I mean, I was starting to become like, I don't know if you've ever watched that. Um, oh, God, I can't think of it right now. But she does these like lines on her walls, like matching people. And so I was, it was really. I oh, mean, it's I home, really you're talking about like, Homeland. You're talking about Homeland. Yes. Yes. yes, yes I was yes. like getting crazy like that. I felt like cause I'm like, this. actually, this person, you know, knew this person. And yeah. I know they were buying drugs here. And like, mm. you know, because generally, you know, that. People like kind of hang around with the same people because right. they're drinking and they're beating women and they're drugging and they're, you know they're they're not engaging in the highest levels of behavior. You know. Do you think but that anyway. you mentioned you mentioned Holly Pranian? It, what do you think the likelihood is that the same person that killed Molly uh, was responsible for Holly? I mean, I I think it's possible. The likelihood, I I I don't. I don't think so. I mean, if it was a if it was like a sexual crime, usually they have a certain type. If it was just that, you know, they like young blonde girls, possibly. Yeah. But I think they kind of have a good idea in Holly's case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that our you know our investigators talk. Um, they certainly share new new information that they. Get. Um, but I don't think anything's ever connected in a way that we ever like thought like more than 50% or 25%. We admire your dedication yeah. to trying to find the your sister's killer and um it's uh it, it's something that that uh those of us who are parents and those of us who are siblings um hope that we never ever have to go through and and you are I'm sure uh doing the the work that uh, that will will hopefully lead to some closure for for you and the family, yeah. and and so well, you know, I think the progress that that you know I'm hopeful about, if nothing else happens today, two things, you know, perhaps we'll get more leads on this person in this general area that will lead us to the next you know place that we'll go or 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 thing to look at, but also after all that, you know, time and, you know, what I was talking about with law enforcement, we finally come to the place in the last year or so, I'd say, where we're kind of supporting and respecting each other. You know, they're kind of in some levels and ways explaining to me, you know, how and why they're tired to what they're doing and, and, and sort of not, I want to say getting mad, but they're sort of respecting and understanding and supporting the things that I need to do mm. where, you know, where I, I might, you know, conduct a campaign tip campaign, or I might right. have a yeah. search or something. For example, today they're going to be up there, which is, is a huge step for me mm-hmm. that they're, they're showing that they're, they're supporting us. And, and I think if they're, you know, that's, that sets a precedent. We need to support victim families. 
you know, they if they want to do, if they want to dig up a grave and have something tested, if they want to, you know, we need to listen to them, we need to respect them, and we need to support, you know, their own their own um, efforts. I think. Well, Heather, thank you so much for <laughs> joining us and telling Molly's story on Extra Sauce. Well, thank you. I appreciate you calling, and I appreciate you sharing the story. Always amazed by how strong people are who go through something like that and are are able to keep that search going day after day and year after year, 17 years ago. And like she said, and, and having a life. You know, having kids of her own, yes, and, and family, and and a job, and everything, and the she said the balance, yeah, you know, for, for doing it that long, and and she's obviously never going to stop, no, ever, no, yeah. Well, um, the search continues, and if uh, if you are somebody who has any information, you can contact the Bish Foundation, right. and uh, oftentimes something that you think is not a clue ends up being a very important clue. So right. uh, even yeah. though it was, even though it was 17 years ago, there may be relevant information that you have. And if so, I'm sure that Heather would like to hear about it. And like she said, whether it's this case or any case, you gotta, you gotta tell somebody. Yes. You know, you gotta help these people. Yeah. Well, and the, you know, the cooperation thing is interesting. I, I you know, I think it's very tough for um, the family of, of victims to not understand um, why the amount of effort that's being put in or to be critical of the amount of effort that's being put in, but there are so many cases and so many different law enforcement agencies. So it's, yeah. uh, but you can understand her frustration yeah, absolutely. When, when you hear her. So um, our thanks to Heather Bish for joining us for a little extra sauce on that radar penetrating uh, or that uh, ground penetrating radar search yeah. um, this week. We will be back next week with another episode of Extra Sauce. Subscribe at iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, and we'll talk with you next week. Oh, please, give us a good rating, You're always begging for ratings. I'll get on my knees, but then I won't be able to speak into the microphone. For you, it's just about the ratings. We're doing it for the ratings. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, if you you don't like us, you get your money back. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. We do have a money back guarantee because right. it costs you absolutely freaking nothing to hear this podcast. So, thanks a lot for listening. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 